Our scripture reading today is Colossians 1, 9 through 14. If you want to use one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 983. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to Regeneration. Let's pray. God, um, we thank you for this community and uh, the privilege, the opportunity we have to share your good news. I pray, Lord, for forgiveness in any way that we have misrepresented you. Uh, our desire is to glorify your name, to lift you up for fame to go your way. And we are indeed imperfect people, which is why we all need you so badly. So I ask for your grace to shower upon us, for your spirit to fill us, to empower us, to do, us, to do things that are beyond our resources, ability, capability, giftings, and skills, that indeed a wonderful, beautiful, miraculous thing happens through us that makes no sense because of the size we are and how limited we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, heading into verses 9 through 14, when you're looking at verse 9, you'll notice that it connects us back to all of the eight previous verses that we read and, and looked at last week. And, and it starts with this, and so from the day we heard. And so it connects back to thankfulness in verse 3, and it shows how much Paul and those with him prayed for the church in Colossae. And we can learn a lot about somebody through their prayers. You can just listen to them and, and get a glimpse of someone's relationship with God to hear them talk to God, much like how you can tell uh, someone's relationship between uh, their friends or their family. You know, you know how close or not close siblings are based off of how they talk or not talk to each other. Um, and same thing with friends and family. You can, you can take a look at how close someone is or how far apart someone is from the other party by observing their conversation, listening into their conversation with each other. So in communing with God, prayer may be the, the most intimate way to commune with God. It's, it's also a great way to hear the heart of someone else, to learn of someone else. It's, it's a very, very intimate communication, a really great tool to use in discipleship as people learn from you, as they hear you pray, and, and where you learn from other people as you hear them pray. It's um, fascinating to me just kind of looking at the history of technology and science that in the 21st century we have so many communication tools and technology just becomes obsolete so, so quickly. Um, 20 years ago in, in the working world, what I was issued was a, a BlackBerry. Um, 
Does anyone even know what a BlackBerry is anymore? Like if you're, if you're under 30, you probably are like, fruit? Like you're given like a box of fruit? Like um, I had a BlackBerry. And the other thing I was issued was a, a, a Palm Pilot, or you can choose a Compaq, either one, you can choose one. You, do you even know what that is? Again, if you're under 30, you're like, Palm Pilot, like Palm Pilot. Anyway, some of you know what those are. The, the over 30 crowd, you probably know what those are, but if you're not over 30, you, you like have no clue. So also, when Katie and I were dating, she lived in Spain. We had this long-distance relationship for a year. She was in San Sebastian, Spain, and so we had a, a long-distance relationship. Um, when we were dating, there was no FaceTime, there was no Zoom, there was nothing of, of the sort, right? Um, I used what is called a calling card. <laughs> is that crazy? Again, you're under 30, you probably have no What's a calling card? I found this awesome deal on a calling card. It was 0.01 cents per minute. And so I bought like a lot of them. And uh, that's what I used. I used calling cards, a Palm Pilot, and a Blackberry. Those are, and now you can do everything from one device. I don't need three devices. Um, so that was just like 15 years ago. It's not that, that long. And isn't it interesting that communication with God has never changed? All throughout human history, and the communication with God, the way that Abraham did it, the way that Moses did it, the way that Paul did it, all the saints before us prayed the same way and spoke to God in the same way, and it was equally as effective. Not dependent on any sort of technology. Just a simple prayer away, and we are talking to God. It, it's so amazing. And so when we're looking at verse 9, let's look at this verse here. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so when we pray, we tend to pray when things aren't so good. But Paul here is praying a prayer of thanksgiving to begin with. He hasn't ceased praying for them since the day he heard of them. Why is this? Well, Paul realized he was given much. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Paul was given much, and so was this church in Colossae. We read in the previous eight verses of their faith in Jesus, their love that they had for all the saints, that they had the gospel, it was bearing fruit and increasing, and they had the love in the spirit. They had all these things. They were given much, so much would be required of them. When things are dire for us, that's when we tend to go to prayer. But it doesn't always have to be negative things that drive us to prayer. I'm so appreciative of the group that gathers to pray for Jane every Thursday night. It's so needed. It's so powerful. She's um, doing uh, a lot better. Um, still not out of the weeds, but she's doing much, much better. And prior to Jane 
going on medical leave, she did lead these prayer and worship nights, and I'm so glad she did because there were a few years in between there where the, our prayer meetings were inconsistent, and there was a group actually before that that met every Monday morning to pray, and that was awesome as well. And the beginnings of our church started as a Bible study, but it, this is something that we don't talk about enough, is it also started as a prayer gathering. Every Wednesday night for 13 straight years, there was a prayer meeting. Every Wednesday night. And it looks a little different now in that our ministry <clears throat> staff prays for the church and, and the prayer requ requests that we receive uh, in those boxes. We pray for those weekly, and we didn't have that early on in the church. Our elders pray together monthly, and most of them lead home groups, and, and there are prayers within the home groups. So there is definitely prayer happening quite often at our church. We, we are sharing ideas as to how to incorporate more prayer into, into a, a more regular rhythm here. What Paul did in verse 9, we have not ceased to pray for you. There, there are people who have not ceased to pray for our church, which is why I think we're even still here. And we haven't ceased to pray for people and ministries here. Now, of course, we can do better. I do think that it has happened. Otherwise, we wouldn't see the fruit coming from our prayers, that the prayers are happening. But something interesting that happens is when we say we'll pray for someone, I really hope that that's happening. Because sometimes we interpret pray for me the same way that we use that greeting phrase, you know, how are you? You know, it's just kind of like just a response that is just fleeting. It's just kind of like a little chit-chat thing. Like, so how are you good when really things aren't that good? I get it because you don't want to get into all the stuff that's going on, so you just kind of say good so you can move on. But sometimes we do that for prayer, and we just say, I'll pray for you, just to kind of like end something and tie it in a like neat little knot, but then you really don't pray for them. Um, I've, done, I've done that. I've done that where I say, I pray for you, and actually it hasn't happened. I did get convicted by it from a message I was listening to from another pastor, and so it's been something I've been working on over the several, several years, um, and something that I've pretty much uh, worked out of my life, that people can actually count on your prayers when you say. Now, I'm not saying that, oh, I constantly pray for them and they're on that list, but, but if someone were to ask me to pray and I say yes, usually within like a five, ten minute frame, I would have thrown a prayer up to God for you. Um, I, I, would, I would do it right away so that I don't have to come back and say like, oh yeah, I did pray for you when I really didn't. I know that I can count on people to pray for me and the ministry, and the church. And if you're ever in doubt about what to pray for regarding our church, verse 9 has something that we can always use. To be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That is something we can always use prayer for. If you've ever doubted, like, I don't know what to pray for for the church, just pray that. Knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul's prayer was to fill the Colossian Christians with this deeper knowledge of God's will, and not simply just for facts. He asked for spiritual wisdom and understanding, which is the ability to apply what is known at the right time. It isn't some sort of mysticism, even though God is indeed mysterious, but, but there are some practical applications 
and necessary wisdom to help us navigate all these complexities of things that are right in front of us. For example, what's right in front of us? To, to deal with that, we need spiritual wisdom. We need spiritual understanding. We need to see and to do things from God's perspective. And if spiritual wisdom is what we need, where do we begin? Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. It is not the fear of man. It's not the fear of what someone else thinks or what the world thinks. It's the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Well, are we truly aware of how awesome God is? Do we come before him demanding that he do things or with a sense of entitlement? Or do we recognize that he is indeed God who is all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful, all-good? Because if God is all of those things, then who am I to demand and to feel entitled? And if he is not those things, then why bother knowing him? If you're more knowledgeable, if you're more powerful, if you're more good, more benevolent, then why bother following him? Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul was not just concerned with what the Colossians knew in terms of uh, scriptural knowledge. He was also concerned with how they lived. To live a manner worthy of the Lord, to be like Jesus, conformed to the image of Jesus, to not just see things from God's perspective, but to also do them according to his will. To summarize what it is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is to be like Jesus in every single aspect of your life. To be conformed into the image of Jesus. It's much more than just knowledge. The, the Bay Area where we live, we are so obsessed. We are obsessed with knowledge. And you can just see that around us. We have the top schools in the world within an hour's drive are here. We have the top companies, the innovators of technology and biotechnology, the biggest ones are right here within an hour's drive. The top hospitals in the nation are here. We have the top everything. We have the top basketball team. We have the top everything. <laughs> They're all here. And it's really no different than the Hellenistic Jews back in Paul's day who deeply valued knowledge. It's very, very similar. Now, it's one thing to accumulate knowledge into one's mind, but it's an entirely different thing to put that knowledge to work where that knowledge transforms your very character so that when one claims to know God, it's not just a theological talk that you know where you stand eschatologically or soteriologically or pneumatology, all these ology stuff. And just because you know those things does not mean that it has transformed your character because I've met some people who know a lot of those things and they are jerks. But it's a life that is lived out in a manner worthy of the Lord. You know, loving relationships are just like this. You can know everything about relationships, communication skills and all this sorts of stuff, and you can read all the books 
But if you don't live out what you know, then it's no good. Right? You, you can know everything, even ab about your spouse. You know what he or she likes. You know what he or she doesn't like. You know all these things. But you don't, if you don't live in a manner worthy of your spouse's love, even though you know all those things, it's no good. You can know everything about a friend. But if you don't live in a manner worthy of a friendship, the friendship doesn't work. And so knowledge cannot be separated from character. Our knowledge of the Bible can't be separated from character. Other people may question our character in terms of how we're living that out, but we have to keep in mind, we serve one God. We fear one God. It's not the fear of people. And people may not like the decisions that we make, but we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Will the manner we walk in please the Lord. Now, for those of us who identify as Christians, we have to keep in mind, we have to remember that knowledge and character cannot ever be separated. Now, depending on, on how people identify themselves, character matters, while for some others, they're thinking that character does not matter. So, in fact, there are some identities where the lack of character is is fully acceptable, and maybe even sometimes applauded. This is not the case with the follower of Jesus. Now, in most workplaces, cheating on a spouse will not result in anything. You can just go back to work. It's not a big thing. I worked with a lot of people that way. Actually, in my four floors where I was working, um, over 80% were on their second or third marriage, and a lot of it resulting from adultery in four, floor, four floors. This is not the case with a Christian, where that marriage covenant is taken very, very seriously as a Christian. You can be a terrible person in your field of study and still be considered an expert in your field. Not so as a Christian. You can know the Bible forward and backward. But if you're a knucklehead, you're a knucklehead. Like, it doesn't matter how much Bible you know. You're a knucklehead. All credibility is lost. Who we are and what we do is very important as followers of Jesus, to be fully pleasing to him. And when we are fully pleasing to God, sometimes that means we aren't fully pleasing to people. Doing right before God sometimes doesn't line up with other people's expectations. Now, we're not here to please people because in pleasing one group, you always displease the other group. It always happens. We're here to please God. How do we know when we are fully pleasing God? Verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. Good work is very highly valued. And this is not your own doing here, right? So good work is the fruit of our faith. It isn't the root of our faith. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
God has good work for us to do that is consistent with our life with Jesus. Jesus said this in Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Paul also has something to say about good work. He wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul wrote this letter to his disciple Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6, uh, chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their lives on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So, bearing fruit in every good work is Part of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. And then we get to this increasing in the knowledge of God. So good work and knowledge, belief and action, simultaneously, together, coupled. It's not one over the other. We need both. We can explain knowledge, but not without good work. Otherwise, that's an incomplete knowledge. Righteousness without justice or justice without righteousness is incomplete. People need to see a transformed life, a complete one where knowledge and action are united. Our beliefs need action and our actions need belief. More often than not, people outside of Christianity can care less about our doctrine. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. They don't really care what we believe. They do take notice of our actions. Don't they? They take notice of a transformed life also. Because when we go to those encampments and we bring with us the people that have been changed by Jesus, it's the most powerful thing. When God takes hold of someone's life, it's not like we suddenly know everything about God. Hopefully, we increase in the knowledge of God. Knowledge in the, scripture, in the scriptures is always relational. It's not like just you and a book, and then that's it. It's always relational. It's not just memorizing facts. So our relationship with God is deepening with God. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Strengthened with all power. And this is not for power's sake, but according to God's glory for endurance and patience. God is empowering us. This is so amazing. He is strengthening us with his power to transform lives. To address what people are afraid of. To address what causes pain and hurt in people's lives. And we have the privilege to change lives and to be empowered by God who has unlimited power. Now look at what the power 
he gives us is four. Now, I, I don't think a lot of us are going to like this. Endurance and patience with joy. I don't know about you. The power part sounds awesome. Lord, give me power. Like, look at power. Right? Like, that sounds awesome. But then, but to be empowered for endurance? Well, Lord, what do you mean? For, for patience? With joy? Are you kidding me? That does not sound great. That sounds like you're asking me to run a marathon, and I hate running. To it, I have to endure. I have to exercise patience and not just do that with joy. I have to do that with joy. This process of someone's life changing, it can take a really long time? You mean I won't just see it? I won't just pray I have your power and then things are good? No. It's not always fun. Actually, most of the time it's not. Most of the time it is horrible. You just have to have endurance and patience. Most of the time, it's not fun at all. It's awesome when it happens. It's the greatest thing when you see, when you can see it. But we have to realize that the economy of God is in light of eternity. It's not this lifetime, but in eternity. And endurance and in patience with joy are God's way of imparting to us his character. That's the way he does it. In the human economy, we want things right now. We do not want to wait. We are impatient creatures. We want to fight for the things that we want. We want to go to war for the things that we want. And we have incorrectly defined power. Because when we look at power, look at Jesus. Jesus was meek. He was enduring and patient with joy. Transformation isn't often instantaneous. It usually takes time, a lot of it. It's, it's not a, a quick kind of show that, you know, life is just like this play, and then we have an intermission, and then we have the second act, and then it's over. See, the, the stories of people's lives, they last decades. It's long. It's the long haul. It requires endurance. It requires patience. And hopefully during that time, we're increasing in the knowledge in relationship with God. And when we feel wronged, we want to take things into our own hands. Yet are we asking God to empower us? And if we are strengthened, are we prepared that he may strengthen us with endurance and patience? Not necessarily resolve, not necessarily direct answers, not necessarily an instant fix. Usually not. And here's the thing. You and I 
won't learn transformative lessons with instant fixes. Haven't you seen those kids where everything's just like fixed by their parents and then, and then you put them out in the real world and they're just like, ah, ah, what do I do? What do you mean? What do you mean I don't get a trophy? I showed up. Like, look at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Think about this. Listen to this, because these are people who endure. These are people with patience that are blessed because of this situation, and then they get this, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will not get that if it's instantaneously fixed for you, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. When have you seen peace just happen? It needs to endure. There needs to be patience. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Do you see what endurance does for you? Do you see what patience gives us that those instant fixes cannot possibly give you? They teach us meekness, mercy, purity, peace. Our relationship with God deepens and knowledge of God increases with endurance and patience, not with those quick fixes. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Joyfulness at the end of verse 11. Thankfulness from verse 12. Can we be joyful and thankful to God for entrusting us with the circumstances we're going through, even though we don't know why we're dealing with what we're dealing with? There are some really terrible things happening to people all the time. Health issues, financial problems, relationship concerns, there are all sorts of things that are way beyond our control. Some of those things we'll never know why. We'll never know why they are happening to certain people, but can we still thank God in the challenging moments, knowing what endurance and patience result in? The moments when we receive from God what we didn't even know what we were missing are so beautiful. Um, I, I've been talking to Jane and meeting with Jane and the things that she's been sharing with me about her going through cancer and things like that. And I know that there are other cancer survivors in this church and you can talk to them here. I think they'll tell you the same thing, the things that they were hearing from God and learning from God during the endurance, during the patience. Do we know that we are heirs to God's kingdom? Do we know that? That we are qualified to share in his inheritance? That it's not something that you and I earned, it's, it's a gift. And it's all God's grace. We didn't do anything for this inheritance. He has just given it to us. Verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Before God's beloved son, Jesus, we were in darkness. 
We, we don't have any of those preceding good things in chapter 1 without verses 13 and 14. We don't have the joy and the, the endurance and the patience. We don't have any of that stuff until Jesus restores our relationship with God. We don't have to be told this. We know we live in a broken world. We're in a domain of darkness. And Jesus desires to restore lives to bring light into the darkness. All of these wonderful themes in chapter 1, and it ends in verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Back in uh, Exodus, we find that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, that God set them free. He redeemed them. He rescued them. We have the same thing today from sin. Where we are in bondage to sin, Jesus has redeemed us, he's rescued us, he's forgiven us of that. That's if you want it. He gives us the amount of grace needed to make a decision to receive this gift of freedom, to receive this gift to be free from bondage. But God does not force it upon you. You've received enough of it to make a decision. If you want it, it's yours. If you don't want it, that's you. That's on you. But it's offered to you. I ask that you would receive it. That you would at least try it. And if you don't like it, return it. It's a good return policy. Like You can have it back. It's better than Nordstrom. You can try it. You don't like it, give it back. But take the step of faith. Take the step of faith. Ask him. Know this, though. If you're expecting, okay, God, do it. I want it. I'm expecting it. And you think it happens and it's instantaneous. For some people, yes. For most people, endurance and patience with joy. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. For your word and I pray God that people are encouraged not discouraged by uh, your truths but I ask God that the knowledge received is not simply just kind of head knowledge and that it's not just some sort of thing that makes us feel uncomfortable or or guilt us or shame us in any way that's not the purpose of your word but that it is indeed transformative that this knowledge deepens our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.